And uh, this morning, I'd like to, to start a six-week series on the study of the book of, of Esther. And, um, and I want to begin this morning in a way that, uh, to be quite frank with you, is, is, is pretty different than my normal approach. Uh, I don't typically approach preaching this way, but I really felt led this morning to simply tell you the story of Esther. If you've been coming here very long, you know why that's going to be hard for me. I love to, to explain things. I love to, to dig into the background. I love to, to read between the lines. But I really felt like the Lord was leading me this morning to simply tell you the story. You know, we as Christians uh, say that God's Word is living and active. We say that it's powerful, that when we proclaim God's Word, that we can be assured that it will not come back void, that it will have its effect. And yet, so many of us who stand in my place as preachers uh, are guilty of adding so many of our words sometimes that the word itself is overshadowed. And perhaps you may also be guilty of spending more time reading what people say about the word than reading the word itself. So I want to start this morning by simply telling you the story. I I will tell you up front that um, it it is a bit challenging. Uh, there's no question that it's, a, it's an incredible story. It's a masterful story. Uh, the Jews have, have, have loved it for generations. Even today, it's one of the most popular stories in the Bible for the Jewish community. But Christians, on the other hand, have struggled with it. Uh, I think you may begin to see this morning some of the reason for that. Uh, I'm confident over the next six weeks, you'll begin to see that there is a very clear and good reason that God in His sovereignty chose to include this story in his word. Maybe the light will even begin to come on this morning. At the very least, I think you'll find somewhere in this story, your story. And so it came to pass. There was a king named Xerxes. His Hebrew name was Ahasuerus. But if it's all right with you, I'm just going to use the Greek name Xerxes. Is that okay? Um, Xerxes wasn't just any old king. Xerxes was the king of the Persian Empire toward the end of its dominance in the world. Xerxes was reigning over the most powerful and the most feared empire in the entire world at this time. But Xerxes was not all bad. I mean, he was a horror to his enemy, no question. Uh, But Xerxes... Well, let me just say it this way. It was good to be a friend of Xerxes. I mean, when you've got the most powerful man in the world, the wealthiest man in the world, what good is it to have all that power and wealth and not be able to show it off? And so Xerxes decided that he would do just that. Xerxes decided to throw a six-month celebration in his own honor for his own glory. And uh, Xerxes sent out the invitation. He said, bring all the officials Bring, um, bring uh, all the noblemen, all the military leaders, everyone is invited to come to the capital city of Susa for six months of celebration. At the end of the six months, Xerxes had a bash to end all bashes. It was one continuous party for seven days. I mean, Xerxes decided, I'm just going to pull out all the stops, and I want everybody in my kingdom. This time, he said, not only the noblemen and the officials and the the military leaders, but everybody is invited to come to the palace. 
that he wanted them to see his fine linen. He wanted them to see the marble, the gold, and the silver. And I will tell you, there was an all-you-can-eat buffet that would have made Jumbo China look like a vending machine. But the greatest act of his generosity was to make the royal wine supply available to all men for as much as they wanted to drink. You see, in those days, the the custom was that if you were ever invited to drink in the presence of a Persian king, you would only drink when he drank. I mean, it was very rude to do otherwise. Uh, uh, You would never drink while he was speaking. And so everyone would wait until the king drank, and then they would drink. But this time, Xerxes, let it be known, sent the word out broad and, 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 and far, and he said, uh, for this particular party, that law has been rescinded, and I want you to drink to your heart delight. There will be nothing withheld. Uh, he's told his servants, don't let any man's goblet go, go, small, go, uh, go dry. Keep it filled with royal wine. You can only imagine what shape these men were in after seven days, Right? Uh, I can assure you there were very few brain cells operating at this point. And in his drunken stupor, Xerxes decided, I think I'll show off the crown jewel of my whole empire. And so he sent his servant to find Vashti, the queen. Vashti, you have to understand, was very, very beautiful, ravishing. And, And so Xerxes said, bring Vashti. And tell her to come wearing her crown. Now, there's a little bit of debate about exactly what Xerxes was saying. Some people say that uh, he was inviting her to come and telling her not to wear her veil. Which for a woman in Persia would have been the ultimate act of degradation. But others say it was even worse than that. Some say that what he was actually saying was this. Tell Vashti to come in all her glory, wearing nothing but her crown, so that he could display her before all the officials and military men in the kingdom. Well, to her credit, Vashti refused. Vashti, in essence, said, I will not be the object or the trophy for any man, not even the king. Well, set off a firestorm of controversy. You have to understand, in the Persian Empire, nobody ever disobeyed or was defiant to the king, not even his wife. And so there was this great controversy. And so Xerxes called all of his most trusted counselors, all the, the wisest men in the empire, called them together for a special meeting. And he asked them, you know, what do you think we should do about this? What should we do? Well, uh, their, their advice came quickly and clearly. I mean, they, they said in no uncertain terms to Xerxes, Xerxes, you cannot allow this to happen. You can't tolerate what Vashti has done. You're going to have to strip her of her title, denounce her, and let it be known to the whole country that no one can defy the king. Because if you don't renounce Vashti, then every woman in the empire will begin to rebel against her husbands. And we're going to have chaos throughout the whole land. Well, Vashti, remember, he was still a little buzz from the seven days of partying. Uh, he decided, okay, well, that, I guess that's a, that's a good plan. So he sent out the decree. Vashti was denounced. Her title was stripped. And it was said 
that Vashti was never to be seen ever again in the presence of the king. Well, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. But after the wine began to wear off, and, Vash, and, and Xerxes began to, uh, and his anger began to subside, Xerxes began to miss Vashti. I mean, the truth is, he really did love her. And uh, he began to wonder if he had made a, a, a tragic mistake. I mean, had he acted in haste? But I'll tell you that his, his wise men were right there and were very, very insistent. Under no circumstances could Xerxes re, re, uh, change course and, and go back on a law that he had already declared. I mean, if he were to re, reverse course now, he would look even weaker. And if there was one thing that the king of Persia could not be, it was weak. So they said, Xerxes, you can't invite Vashti back. But don't worry. Because we've got a new plan. And the wise guys came up with this great plan. They called it the bachelor, Persian version. (laughs) They sent out a word to to all the young virgins in the whole empire. And they said all the young virgins are invited to come to the palace and, and compete for the title of Mrs. Xerxes. So the word went out to the whole country. Now, it also came to pass during this same time, that there was a man in the empire whose name was Mordecai. Mordecai was a common man, and he was also a Jew. But he was also a very good man. Mordecai, uh, one of the, the great acts of kindness of Mordecai was that he had a young cousin who had been orphaned when she lost her father and her mother. We don't know why, but suddenly she was without her parents. And Mordecai brought her into his home, made her his own, called her his own daughter. Her name was Hadessa, but I think you probably know her better as Esther. And he raised Esther. And Esther became very, very beautiful. So beautiful, in fact, that as the word began to get out, that there was a contest for the next queen, one of the king's officials saw her, was taken by her beauty, and took her to the palace. Now, we don't know for sure if she, uh, if she wanted to go. Maybe she did. More than likely, she probably didn't. But the bottom line is that in this case, she had no choice. When the king calls, you go. Now, before she left, Mordecai took her aside and he said to her, Esther, I need to tell you something very, very important. Whatever you do, Don't let anyone in the king's household know that you're a Jew. It's very important that you hide your identity. So Esther was taken to the palace, and she was turned over uh, to a man named Haggai. Now, this Haggai is not to be confused with the, the prophet Haggai. Haggai was the keeper of the king's harem. And it was his responsibility to prepare the young virgins Uh, to be with the king. And so this is how the contest would work. These ladies, these young women, would get 12 months of the greatest spa treatment you can imagine. For 12 whole months, they would get beauty treatments. For six months, they would get treatments with the oil of myrrh. And then for the second six months, they would get treatment with all kinds of perfumes and cosmetics. And then after 12 months, each girl would go in turn to have her one night with the king 
And uh, the next morning, she would get up very early, leave before the king awoke. If the king was pleased, he could invite her to come back. If he was not, then the contest was over for her. To make a long story short, when Esther's turn came, she hit a home run. Xerxes was very pleased with Esther. And so Esther got the rose and she got the crown. Well, I need to backtrack for just a minute. Because during the the 12 months that, that Esther was being pampered and prepared for her night with the king, on a regular basis, Mordecai would go down to the king's gate. This was kind of like the, you know, the city gates, the king's gate. This is where all the men would gather and, and talk about the latest news of the, the, of the day or the week. Mordecai would go there on a regular basis because he wanted to get the latest gossip on how the contest was going. He wanted to hear who was in, who was in the lead or you know, who seemed to be getting the edge. And, and so every day he would go. And one day, while he was sitting at the king's gate, Mordecai just happened to overhear two men plotting to assassinate the king. Well, Mordecai immediately reported it to Esther, who then reported it just as quickly to the king. The king had his men check into it, discovered that it was a, it was a real plot, found the men, had them hanged, and the king was very gracious, but to be honest about it, he pretty quickly forgot. He went on his business, life continued in the kingdom, And he forgot. Well, some time passed. It could have been years, but some time passed. And Mordecai was again sitting or standing at the the king's gate. And one day as he stood there, a man named Haman came walking by. Now, you have to understand a couple of things about Haman. The first thing is this. Haman was an Agagite, a descendant of Agag. If you don't know who that is, it was the same Agag who used to be the king of the Amalekites. Hundreds of years earlier, God had commanded Saul to destroy the whole nation of the Amalekites. But to God's incredible disappointment, Saul almost obeyed, but allowed Agag himself to survive. Now, hundreds of years later, one of his direct descendants is now coming back into the story. So he is an Agagite. His people have been destroyed by the Jews. He's also a nobleman. And in those days in Persia, it was the custom that any time a, mo- a nobleman walked before common people, the, the common people would, would get down on their knees and pay their respect by honoring them on their knees. Well, one day Haman came by and everyone hit their knees. They fell to their ground uh, to honor Haman and his presence. Because let me just, I forgot to tell you this. Haman was not just a nobleman. Haman was the chief nobleman. He was the highest noble, noble of all the nobles. In fact, when Haman came back, even came by, even the nobles fell to their knees to show him their honor. But on this day, as Haman came by, everybody hit their knees except for Mordecai. Haman didn't see it, but the royal officials saw it. And as soon as he was out of sight, they immediately went to Haman and they said, Haman, do you have any idea what you're doing? This is completely wrong. It's the law. You must bow in the presence of a nobleman. But, Haman was, uh, but Mordecai was, was unrepentant. He said, I am a Jew. 
and I cannot bow before any man. Well, the very next day, Haman came by again. And once again, everybody hit their knees except for Mordecai. This time, the city officials who were never uh, slow to stir up a little drama in the kingdom. I mean, you can imagine how slow the, the, the news could get in those days. And, and they were always looking to stir up drama. Well, this time they didn't go to Mordecai. They went straight to Haman. And they went to Haman and they said, Haman, did you happen to notice that when you walked by, one man, Mordecai, refused to bow before you? And oh, by the way, did you know that Mordecai is a Jew. Well, Haman was incensed. I mean, absolutely incensed. I mean, that this common man would dare to snub him in public by refusing to bow. But even more than that, that he was a stinking Jew, the mortal enemy of his people. I mean, Haman was beside himself. He he couldn't get it out of his mind. And, And the more he thought about it, the bigger his scheme for revenge grew. He wouldn't just put Haman in his place. This was the moment. This was the moment that his people had been waiting for. He wouldn't just put Mordecai in his place. He would take vengeance on the entire people by eliminating the entire race. We're talking genocide. Haman was Hitler before Hitler was Hitler. So the next day, Haman goes to the king. And uh, and he he approached the king and he said, Now, king, you need to know that there's a strange group of people in the empire. He didn't say who they were. He just said there's a strange group of people in the empire. Uh, Their culture and their ways are very different from us Persians. And, And one of the things that you need to know about these people is that they completely defy the king's law. They just do whatever they please, even if it means disobeying a direct command of the king. Well, Xerxes was definitely not happy about that. And so, so he said, well, Haman, what do you, you know, you're the chief noble. What do you think I should do about it? Well, Haman knew exactly what he should do about it. He said, you simply cannot tolerate this kind of defiance. You can't allow people in your own kingdom to publicly snub you, the king, There's only one solution. You're going to have to wipe out the entire nation. Because if you don't, their obstinance, their defiance will spread throughout the kingdom and the whole empire will be in chaos. In fact, Haman went on to say, if you will do this, king, I will finance the entire operation. I will give out of my own wealth 10,000 talents, 375 tons of silver. That will be more than enough to round up all of these people in your kingdom, bring them to the capital city, build enough gallows to hang them all, and do it all quickly and cleanly. Well, Xerxes didn't need his money. He said, you can keep your money, but I guess it does make sense. So go ahead and send out the decree and let it be so. So the word went out into the the empire. When Mordecai got the word that the entire Jewish people were about to be executed, he he, he tore his clothes. He he went down to the city gate and and he just began to weep and to wail. Uh, The the terror seized uh, the city. 
It began to seep into the whole empire. I mean, even the Persians, quite frankly, were bewildered. Uh, Why in the world would the king do such a thing? It just didn't seem to make sense. Well, eventually, Esther began to pick up news that some disturbance was taking place in the city. And then someone told her that they had seen her uncle Mordecai weeping and wailing at the gate. And so Esther sent one of her servants to Mordecai to find out what was going on. Well, Mordecai told him the whole story, that, that Haman had, had, had convinced the king to pass his edict, and that now the whole nation was in danger of, of extermination. He said, please go back and tell Esther. Tell her the whole thing. Tell her everything that's happened. And please beg her to approach the king to plead for mercy for her people. So Esther got the word. No question, she was distressed, but she immediately sent a message back to Mordecai. She said, Mordecai, do you understand what you're asking me to do? Do you understand that it's highly illegal for anyone to approach the king without an invitation? You can understand that the king has every right and generally does execute on the spot anyone who approaches him without an invitation. So if I approach the king without an invitation, I could be killed on the spot and never get a chance to say a word. Does it really make sense that I would give my life for nothing? Well, Mordecai immediately sent word back to her. And he said, Esther, remember, you are a Jew. And your crown will not save you. If you keep silent, there will be deliverance from another source. But you and your family will perish. And who knows, but that you are not in this very position for such a time as this. Can you imagine the weight on this young woman's shoulders? Can you imagine all of the the roller coaster of emotions as she thought, well, surely Xerxes would spare me. But then as she remembered Vashti, and he, she thought, well, if he wouldn't spare Vashti, why would he spare me? The king has already made the proclamation. It's going to happen. But finally, she sent word back to Mordecai. And she said, Mordecai, I will do what you've asked. I will approach the king. If I perish, I perish, but I will do it. But she said, please, over the next three days, find all the Jews you can find, ask all of them to fast, and I will also fast for these three days. And at the end of those three days, I will approach the king. If I perish, I perish. Well, Surely these were the longest three days of, of Esther's life. She contemplated what to say, what to do, how she would even approach the king. Did I tell you in the beginning, by the way, that this is the king? Maybe you've heard the name Xerxes. Uh, did you see the movie 300? It's the same Xerxes that led that vast army against the 300 Spartans at Thermopylae. It's the same king. 
In fact, if my timeline in my scripture, in my Bible, is accurate, it was exactly, not exactly, but it was approximately one year after this took place. That's the man that Esther would be approaching. So finally the day came. And she approached the king. And to her utter surprise and her great relief, the king immediately extended the golden scepter, which was a sign of his mercy. I mean, typically what happened is you were just killed on the spot. You just don't approach the king without an invitation. But if for some reason the king was in a particular, particularly generous mood, he could extend the golden scepter and allow you to speak, and then he might kill you. But on this day, he not only extended the golden scepter, he, he seemed to be in a, in a really good mood. I mean, he was almost giddy. He actually said to Esther, Esther, what is your wish? Whatever you want, even if it's half the kingdom, I will be glad to grant it to you. Well, I, I'm not sure how she knew this, but somehow Esther just knew in her gut that to approach the king and immediately ask him to renounce a, a law that he had just passed probably wasn't going to go over very well. So she had hatched her own plot. So she said to the king, I have prepared, I've spent the day preparing a banquet for you. And I'd like to ask you to come this afternoon to the banquet and I will tell you what my wish is. Oh, and by the way, would you please bring the chief noble, Haman, I'd like for him to be the the only, the single, specially invited guest. And so Xerxes said, sure, of course, we'll come to your banquet. He sent word for, for Haman. They found Haman. Haman was delighted that the queen would ask him to come to a banquet for no one but himself and the king. I mean, what, what kind of honor? Uh, there's this no greater honor than to come and be honored just with the king alone. So they came and they, they shared in good food and wine. And at the end of the meal, Xerxes said one more time, Esther, tell me, what is your request? And again, Esther said, well, if you will, king, give me one more day. I'd like to have one more banquet, and I'd like to ask you and Haman to come again tomorrow, and I give you my word, this time at the end of the banquet, I will make my request. Well, you can imagine how excited Haman was. I mean, Haman could not wait, and he was a prideful man to start with. But you can't believe how excited he was to go home and to tell his family and friends that he was invited for a second time to go to the palace to dine with the king and the queen all by himself. But on the way home, he passed the city gate. And there was Mordecai sitting at the gate again. And once again, Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. And so Haman went home, he he told his family about the special honor, about the invitation, the banquet, but then he said, but you know what, I saw that miserable Mordecai, the Jew, once more time, and he wouldn't bow to me, and I'll tell you, it's almost ruined the whole thing. It's almost ruined everything. I just, I can't even, I just can't even think. I'm so, I'm so angry at this man. Well, Haman's wife said, you know what you ought to do, Haman? You ought to build a gallows. 
uh, or, I mean, the gallows to end all gallows. You ought to build a gallows that's 75 feet high. And when you go to the banquet tomorrow, this is the prime opportunity. You'll have a special audience with the king. It's the prime opportunity for you to ask the king for permission to begin putting his law into effect and that you want to start with Mordecai. Tell him exactly what Mordecai has done and that you want to hang him first. Well, Haman thought that was a great idea. So he called in his servants. He said, I don't care if it takes you all night. I want you to stay up all night building a 75-foot gallows in honor of Mordecai. Well, as his workers labored during the night, King Xerxes could find no sleep. Perhaps he heard the hammers in the distance. I don't know for sure what kept him awake, but something kept him awake. He couldn't sleep. And after a while, he called in one of his servants. He said, go and get for me the, the, the book of the Chronicles. The book of the Chronicles was a record of everything that had ever happened in the kingdom. Uh, I, I think Xerxes was thinking, surely this will put me to sleep. And so he had, the, uh, he had the servant begin to read, but to no avail. All night he listened to one thing after another that had taken place in the kingdom. And then early in the morning... The servant just happened to get to one event that had taken place years earlier when a man named Mordecai had reported a plot to assassinate the king. It had been legitimized. They had found the men. They had had them hanged. Xerxes said, I remember that. But what did we ever do to honor this man? Well, the, 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 the servant immediately began to look into the chronicles, and he could find nothing that was done to honor Mordecai for saving the king's life. And so the king thought, well, we need to do something very special for this man. I, I don't know what would be the best thing to do. Uh, you know, I'm kind of out of touch with people, but, you know, we need to do something. He said, you know, look outside and see if any of my officials are in the courtyard. Let's bring them in and ask, what could we do to honor someone who was especially worthy of it. So the servant looked out the window. There was one man in the court. It was Haman, the chief noble, who was coming for the banquet and ready to ask permission to hang Mordecai, the Jew who had saved the king's life. So they bring Haman in, bring him before the king, the king says, Haman, there, there's someone in the empire that I would like to honor and, and, and celebrate in a very special way. How do you think we ought to do that? Well, Haman immediately assumed that he was the guy that the king was wanting to, 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 to honor. And the king just didn't want to embarrass him by, you know, saying it right in front of him. And so he thought, well, you know, I, I think the best way to honor such a man would be to get one of the robes that the king himself has worn, give him one of the horses that the king himself has ridden on, and parade him all through the city, announcing to everyone within earshot, this is what happens to the man the king delights to honor. Well, the king loved the idea. Thought, that's a great idea. He said, Haman, do me one favor. I'd like for you to go find for me Mordecai, the Jew. For he is the man that we are to honor 
today. Now, Haman would not dare to disobey his king. He understood the culture very, very well. So he did as he was told, but, but you better believe he hated every second of it. You can only imagine just how much his insides were turned inside out all day long as he took Mordecai, the Jew, all through the city to celebrate him. Well, after it was all done, he went home. Haman was depressed. He was disgusted. Not only that, but his family was, was overcome with fear. They say, Haman, you have set yourself against the very man that the king has just honored. All Haman could think about was at least there's the banquet. I mean, at least there is the banquet that I get to attend tomorrow with the king and Esther. And so he, uh, he went to the banquet. And when he arrived at the banquet, the food was there again, great food, great wine. The men shared the meal. And at the end of the meal, the king turned to Esther and said, Okay, Esther, you have, uh, you have held us long enough. Now is the time for you to tell us your wish, your desire. And Esther said, King Xerxes, my request is this. I would like to ask that you would spare my life and the lives of all of my people, the Jews. For there is one who has plotted to destroy the whole nation, to kill myself and Mordecai, the Jew, who saved your life. The king was enraged. He said, who would dare to do such a thing? Esther slowly turned and pointed straight at Haman and said, it's this vile Haman who sits in your presence. King was so angry, he jumped up from his seat and ran out the door. He immediately just left the room. He was so angry, he didn't know what to do. And as soon as he left, Haman came running over to the couch where Esther had now seated herself, threw, herself, threw himself before her uh, to plead for mercy. But before he could even get a word out of his mouth, the king returned. And now the king saw Haman throwing himself at the queen on her couch. And he said, would you violate the queen in my own house now? And before Haman could even get a word out of his mouth, one of King Xerxes' servants said, I think there's a gallows that's already been built. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's right outside Haman's house. And that very day, Haman was hanged from the 75-foot gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And once again, the Jewish people were delivered. Now, you may have noticed that as I told the story, I never referred to God even once. I didn't even refer to prayer or to faith, or for that matter, anything directly religious. But don't call me a heretic, because what I've just told you is God's word, exactly the way God intended it to be told. 
In the weeks ahead, I am very confident that it will become crystal clear why God in his sovereignty chose to include this story in his word. But for today, I just want to leave you with this one line. This one line. If you keep silent, deliverance will come from another source. But you and your family will perish. And who knows, but that you are not here for such a time as this. Beloved, I want to remind you, our God is a deliverer. Our God is a God who will make all things right. Our God is a God who will make all things new. His deliverance will come. But what about you and your family? Will you benefit or will you miss it? Perhaps you are here for such a time as now. I want to ask, if you will, just to to bow your head for a moment. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to go ahead and make your way up. Begin to prepare the elements. But while they come, if you would, just take a moment to reflect right where you are. Reflect on the story. And ask God what he would say directly to you this day.